Hi, this is Glenn Kaiser with the Dolby Institute, and we're here at Dolby Soho in New York City. It's always a pleasure to be back in New York. Um, I'm here at the table with a couple of old friends of mine, Tom Fleischman, Eugene Garrity. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Absolutely. It's um, we're here to talk about the Irishman, but just to just to introduce you guys before before we get started, uh, Eugene and uh, Tom. Obviously, you guys both Oscar winners for the same movie. You guys got your Oscar for Hugo. Hugo for Mr. Scorsese. Uh, so this is a long, this is a long working relationship that you guys have had with Martin and, and Thelma and the, and the whole team. How long have you guys been working with the? For me, it goes back to King of Comedy. So it's been about 25 or 30 years, something like that. That's amazing. Yeah. What was your job on King of Comedy? I was the second re-recording mixer. You were just a young pup back then. I was about, yeah, 33 or something like that. I had done some uh, tent mixes on Raging Bull, and uh, I guess Marty liked them. So uh, the next, Dick Vorsek, who was my mentor and my guru, uh, had some health problems and couldn't work any overtime. Mm. And Marty obviously liked to work into the evening. Uh, so I would, he, Dick would come in at 9 o'clock and start the day, and I would roll in around noon and work with him all afternoon. And then Dick would leave at six and I would go as late as Marty wanted to go. And you and Marty kept going. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty amazing, on yeah. Raging Bull. No, that was, that, that was on King of Comedy. Oh, okay, I had just okay, done okay. a couple of temp mixes on Raging Bull. And Eugene, you, when, when did you start working with Marty? I started on um, New York Stories. There was uh, three directors, New York directors, Francis Coppola, Woody Allen, and Martin Scorsese had- uh, It was short films. Short films. Yeah. And uh, Marty's was called Life Lessons, which was this great- Nick Nolte and Rosanna Arquette. Yeah, this great piece with them, and it centered around um, The Whiter Shade of Pal by Procol mm -hmm. Harum, the, the, the piece. It's just fantastic. But that was uh, what my first film with Marty, and then I kind of went away for a few films, and uh, Bringing Out the Dead was when Philip, Phil Stockton and I became sort of a tag team, uh, and it's been everyone since then, so I lost track. But, That's amazing. Yeah. That's a good run. Yeah, we like yeah. it. We like it when directors are loyal to their yes, sound teams. Yes, it's very nice. Yeah. So I guess that tees up a, a question that I was wondering, which is, has Marty's approach to sound changed over the years aesthetically? Like, can you? Is there has there been a, a progression for him? I don't know. I think that you know he's obviously very keen on music, and very keen. I mean, here's the thing: he'll come in on the first day of the mix, and he'll say to me, "Tom, I want to hear the dialogue." And I want to hear the music, and I want to hear the sound effects. So it's a matter of finding what's but the most. Not all at the same not time. Not all at the same time. We've <laughs> got to figure out how to do that. Yeah. But the, you know, there's always one moment that in you know, at any given moment in a film, there's always one thing that's the most important thing to hear. Right. So you know, whether it's a line of dialogue or a drum beat or a guitar note or a sound effect, you know, uh, he's. He, he very often will build the music that way to fit, uh, right. to work with the dialogue in a certain way that, you know, either helps tell the story. Obviously, it, it always helps tell the story. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think this one oh in particular is unique in his canon of work, uh, or certainly the way uh, I've experienced his uh, creative process. Um, all his movies, like Tom says, certainly music is a very 
key component to telling the story. And very much times, like Shutter Island and other movies, sound effects are a very big part of the t storytelling. Sure, it just depends on what the story is. Yeah, and in this one, it was just pretty much the opposite. It's the story was so important to be uh, between these two these people and their emotions that he really wanted it to be uh, very uh, quiet, very subtle. Everything was 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 uh, pulled back as opposed to pushed forward to tell the story. It was how how effectively can we make this int more intimate? How how much more can we go? I'm I'm glad you brought that up because. Um... I think I was really surprised when I saw the film, mm. and I've seen it now a couple of times. Mm. Um, it's it's stylistically to me feels very different yeah. from you know it's certainly his other gangster movies. Right. Um, it's there's not a lot of flashy camera work. It's right. it the 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 filmmaking process doesn't really call attention to itself that much. Um, it's really about, like you said, it's about quiet and it's about it's about intimacy. And I think these actors are doing some of the finest work I've ever seen them yeah. do. Well, yeah. I think that's part of the reason why he wanted to approach it that way, mm -hmm. because <clears throat> the performances in this film are so amazing, just with even just looks, not even spoken lines, just the way that they're looking at each other. And and both he and Thelma were really adamant about having nothing in the soundtrack that would interfere with that, right. with, with a focus on the performances and the story yeah. and the dialogue. Uh, so there's many key scenes in the film that take place in a quiet room, in a hotel room, or a re quiet restaurant where no one else is there. And they really were not interested in hearing any kind of off-screen sound textures that would, that would interfere with the audience focusing purely on the characters. So you say that, I'm thinking specifically about the scene uh, between Joe Pesci and, and De Niro uh, when the, you know, they're, in, they're in the motel and they're having breakfast. And, <laughs> and it's, it's basically when Pesci tells De Niro he's gotta go kill yeah. Jimmy Hoffa, but, but he doesn't actually say it. But yeah. there's so much subtext happening there. And I, I understand what you're talking about. Like the focus is so, so simple you know, you're not from a from a sound editor, yeah. editorial perspective. You're not putting dogs yeah. barking right. in the back. You know, all that stuff that we would normally kind of yes. put in to fill out a world. Yeah. I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about. Was that part of the, your your conversations with Marty through the entire process? Was was knowing that it was going to be that spare? Um, not not originally when when I started working on it and feeding them sound effects for their temp mixes. Uh, that wasn't apparent at the time, but Thelma did re many times. Re she reiterated, Eugene, this is this one's going to be a little different. And You're talking about Thelma Schumacher, the, yes, the, the, the picture editor who's also worked with him since Raging Bull, yes, right. right? Yes. Yeah. Sorry, the first He's name based this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but it became really apparent uh, uh, when Thelma came in and, and said, "Look, this is really important to us to." To keep it the way our temp sounds, uh, this is really his ideas that he's he's developed already, and we want to match that as you know, follow that as as much as possible. It's funny you brought up that particular scene. Yeah, that, scene. <laughs> <laughs> that we had some problems with that scene because there was a Pesci's uh, eating cereal, which is yeah, like, that yeah, was one right. of the mouth noises. <laughs> Joe Pesci was chewing on the cereal. For Everybody the loves thing. mouth noises, right? <laughs> oh. Oh. And uh, and teeth. there was right. a, there was a there was something in the room that was humming. Yeah, there was a Jenny. So there was a really heavy hum. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because 
you know, I think the, the, the dirty little secret in our, in our business is like, you know, just you can put some explosions or gunshots and something, yeah. you can mask any kinds of problems, yeah. but like you don't have anything there to hide behind. There was nowhere to hide. So you've got, it's, I mean, those production tracks better be great. Well, well they weren't necessarily. They weren't. Because <laughs> I mean, they were good. Of, but a lot of it's on location. Todd Maitland did real, a great job. Yes. Real location. In that particular scene, there was some problems. And uh, one of them was this cereal, was the chewing, because he was chewing on Bob's angle. So we were seeing Bob and hearing, oh, oh. hearing him, you know, chomping away. <laughs> Uh, and you know, Phil had to. Phil Stockton had to do quite a bit of uh, surgery there to, to try and get that stuff out. So um, Phil Stockton was cutting dialogue yes. on your yeah. team. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, for my part, I was trying to you know to get rid of the the noise, the hum, without affecting the quality of their voices. So was it like just a uh, an air conditioner? It or was. I, I don't know if well, it was, was it? a soda. It was something. It, some it, kind. Like it sounded a, like a refrigerator or something uh, like that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And it it they start, But here's the tricky part. They Tom and Phil very much did their job to notch that out, or you know, yeah. pretty obviously. But from the perspective of the filmmakers, they were really concerned that that any affect affecting the voices was going to take away the importance of that scene. I we, see. So they don't want you to do anything that's going to that's going to notch and take out these take guys out frequencies did all the they, I mean, yeah. Thelma was Thelma was adamant about yeah. it. You know, no, it's too much EQ. You right. Know, it, it, it you can't get it too clean because you're going to affect the sound, quality of voice. His voice doesn't have the same quality as our temp. I mean, this was and in the temp, you know, they hadn't really done any cleaning. It's just the production track. It was right? a production right. track. So uh, we had we had to we eventually wound up actually using the tracks from the temp from the AAF that was put into the temp. And, and I, now how much of that is just because Marty and Thelma get used to something in the avid and they're and they they can't they can't they can't in that again this you can't imagine you pick a, a more explosive scene to discuss. <laughs> uh, we there was a lot of discussion <laughs> and I use that word we were there was a lot of um uh, yelling, animated discussion. <laughs> yeah, uh, but because you New Yorkers do like to yell at each other. Yeah, it was a really fascinating process, and I had sort of a, a catbird seat because we really didn't have any sound effects in that scene at all initially. But then we tried a process, uh, which was to clean it up considerably and then put Foley in and to make it we thought more intimate. But that wasn't working. Philip did a pass with with noise reduction in in his machine. Tom did more than one pass of of. of of noise, of using isotope or, or and just going back and just basic EQ, and that was still affecting it from their perspective. And it's it's fascinating to see that the sensitivity to, uh, and I think they're right. You know, yeah. of course we're going to do our job. We're, that you we're, have to. Yeah. But the, the, a scene the, like that is the hardest kind of scene to mix, yeah. where well, you've yeah. got nothing to hide, but you know, right. they didn't want to have any kind of outside presence. They didn't want to add any kind of room tone. They're not going to put the any music on It was a completely it, no. empty room. It was supposed to be 6 o'clock in the morning, right. and no one was there. Uh, the character Russell Buffalino had actually owned the Howard Johnson's and had uh, shut it down so that they could have this conversation in private. Interesting. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so... Uh, you know, a scene like that, from a mixer's point of view, you know, where you're cutting between two angles that, or three angles that, one of them had a big hum in it, and the other one was They're cleaner. They're not going to match. And, no. and and you know, to try and find a way to get that to work without, without having any kind of background to hide behind was really a challenge. And did you mix by yourself? 
I did. Well, Gene, Gene worked on it. In that scene. <laughs> yeah, Gene. No effects to mix, no. right? Gene, so you, you mixed effects? I, I did. Gene mixed okay. effects, and I did uh, dialogue and music, yeah. Yeah, great. Right. Yeah, and there's no music in that sequence, obviously. There's no. no music in that scene. But, no music in that whole reel. Right. But, but <laughs> again, to reiterate, it's not just there's nothing to hide behind. It's not just we're trying to, to do as little as possible as, we, as Tom would do with his, with his uh, mixing and his EQ. It's that they didn't want that little bit of, of basic um, uh, smoothing out of tracks. Well, we did that, of course, but it's still, you'd be surprised how far from the concept of doing your job we were being, you know, going in that direction. It's interesting. So it's almost like you guys have to make the adjustment of like, totally. this is the world we're living in. Yeah. That we have to, we just have to, yeah. we have to, we have to accept. It was a huge learning experience for me. Yeah. I, I've, I've said this in a couple of interviews, you know, we've been doing this 30 plus years. You, you, you kind of know where you start. And, and this was a whole new learning experience for uh, what not to do, how to be effective with one thing at a very specific time. It wasn't part of the story. Right. I mean, birds were not part of that story, and that was going to take them out of that 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 moment of yeah, where the emotion yeah, between yeah. those two characters was all amazing. So, and when there was birds necessary or crickets, there were in certain scenes that were important. But uh, it's there are a couple of I, you know there are some <laughs> there are some really nice. I, I would Phew. think of them as design moments, right. but like I'm thinking about there's the scene with the. Um, uh, with the guy when he's given the payoff to the uh, to the to the to the state trooper, yeah, and you're under the overpass, yeah, and that, was, that was like that. Yeah. That was a really lovely. That was actually one of the scenes where we did use Atmos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give it a little height, one give of it a little the space. Yeah, yeah. We, we put those carbides up, yeah. up up in the ceiling. Yeah, um, that that was a nice moment, and uh, as I understand it, uh, I. I had originally sent uh, similar material over to them early on because that scene didn't have music in it yet. What I recall happening early on was that there wasn't going to be a lot of music in certain scenes. Uh, score, I should say. Right. The other one is the Schuylkill montage where the, 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 um, the guns are dropped off into the river. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That initially was no music also. Really? So, yeah. Over a montage sequence? Yeah. And Interesting. It, we, we did a lot with effects. It was all about the, the cutting and the cars and all that. But um, again, the underpass was another one. And that worked out great because um, Robbie's score does come in in the middle of that, I think. Yeah. Or, uh, and it, it, it was great because of that tonal idea, of the overpass, the, the joiner thumps and stuff like that. And, well, you also, I, you know, it's, um, it's a quiet, intimate, very specific mix. But I, you found some really great opportunities to play with dynamic range and, and mm -hmm. silence. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking specifically of that that great scene. I think it's it's part of a montage as well, uh, when um, uh, Jimmy Hoffman's wife Joe gets fired from her oh, union great. job, <laughs> and she's walking out to the and there's whatever that song is playing. There's a great song that's, um, that's playing. Oh, I can't remember. And then she she gets in the car, and right when she's about to turn on the ignition, the music the stops. music stops abruptly, and. You know, as as an audience member watching that scene, I'm yeah. like jarred for a second. Then I was like, and then I'm like, oh, she's she's thinking maybe the car's gonna blow up. Oh yeah, when she yeah. turns this ignition, yeah. and that the rest of that sequence, there's a long beat of almost yeah. near silence. Absolutely. And as an audience member, you kind of like you. Uh, for me, I was there's a close up of the key yeah. and it's jingling, jingling just slightly. Yeah, but again, there's a good case in point. Now most people would put that jingling at a certain level. And this was down 15 dB from that. And you can become more, it becomes more intimate. 
because it's not so obvious that you you barely hear that jingle, and yeah. that was very intentional. Sure. Um, the level I mixed it in at was a little more than that, and you know, but it definitely was more effective, even quieter. And there was definitely some moments with De Niro with his you know scotch and soda with the ice yeah. cube. Like there's just this, like it's really subtle, really mm -hmm. nice, very specific mm -hmm. kind of work. Well, some of my favorite moments in the in the mix were uh, <clears throat> that uh, where they crushing. Dorfman's car, and the Johnny Ray song just comes blasting in. You see this this crane come down and pick the car up, and you know Johnny Ray is singing, "Cry." Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also the uh, the slow mo uh, of the Joe Colombo killing with with the Sleepwalk playing. Right. Um, and that's the one gunshot. One gunshot. And then the second gunshot isn't there. It's like that's right. Yeah. That's right. On camera visual without a sound. Yeah. And. Um, and you're jolted by the prior gunshot, which you don't see. Right. You don't see the gun. You hear you it, hear and then the we shot. cut to the guy. And you just it, see the blood. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that, again, very interesting uh, dynamic range choices, you know, very effective. Uh, one big one uh, was the cut to the meeting in Florida between uh, Tony Pro Tony and Pro, Jimmy uh, Hoffa. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> we, we, we worked on that scene quite a bit, that, that transition to that cut being dead quiet and that silence being deafening. Well, because the point is Jimmy Hoff is pissed because he's yeah. getting, you know, yeah. and he's, he's, one he's not, waiting. Yeah, and he doesn't want to wait more than ten, five minutes or ten minutes. Yeah, exactly. They, have, exactly. they have that argument. Right, you know? yeah. So that cut was very effective in, in the sound dropping out completely and then slowly giving this idea of tension through bringing back some of the sound effects. But at the same with. time, they also wanted to establish that they were in Florida. Yeah. So, you know, oh, we put in a little bit of a seagull <laughs> and maybe some palms so, so, rustling yeah, or yeah, something we, like that. But we tried quite a bit of stuff. You know, um, one thing we've said in our interviews is that it's easy when you see the car and hear the car. It's when you have to come up with this idea of subtlety that's extreme subtlety. And that's equally as challenging. I mean, you, you know, this, we, we spent quite a long time on that scene getting it quiet enough and get what the right background was. And right. it wasn't, uh, I, I wish, I, I don't think it, I was capable of coming up with the perfect sound the first time. We really developed the idea over time. You know, Thelma, Tommy, and I, and, uh, and then we presented that to Marty, and I'm sure we had, we had changes after that. And that scene was another one where the production track wasn't particularly quiet. Mm. So we had to, you know, Noisy we location. had to be careful about how much <coughs> noise reduction we used. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, because, you know, there's not a lot of violence in the film. And mm -hmm. what I think another way that this is different from uh, kind of a lot of Marty's films in the mm -hmm. past is that it's not stylized at all. You know, the, right. when, when, when De Niro shoots somebody, it's often played in a wide shot, right. you know, and he just walks up and bang, bang. Right. And so that lack of like um, kind of over the topness from an aesthetic point right. on the visual side you must have had to take a similar approach with the sound, right? Absolutely. Uh, that's a really good point. The gunshots themselves, it was very straightforward. And right. a number of Marty's films, we've stylistically made the guns big. And sure. uh, Casino comes to mind. Or that stylized cutting that, that they've done in some of their films. This, this was pretty much the opposite of that. The, uh, the guns were, in most cases, were always sweetened with, uh, with uh, recordings that I had. But we used production because they were using production for other things. Uh, for instance, the screaming when Joey... When Joe Gallagher gets shot, there's... 
sure. production track. There's dialogue. He's, he's, he's shouting. There, people are screaming. Yeah. There's movement. So they wanted to keep all that, obviously, and then the production gunshots were in there. Yeah, which is basically just blanks, or what is that? They were quarter loads or whatever. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, it, and I'm sure know. they're still loud as hell, right? Yeah, yeah. they're loud, but they're, they're very sharp. You know, it's, they're like more like pops. Yeah. Uh -huh. It definitely um, needed sweetening, but I think what. What we're saying, or Tom's trying to say, is that in every scene, you, it's the opposite of what you would think. In a big crowd scene, you would think, oh, those extras are moving their lips and we're going to fill it in with group ADR. No, it was all track. It's all production track. They were yelling and screaming in those bars. Oh, so, but even, I'm thinking about like even some of the big union rallies with Hoffa. Yeah, there's the, production the, track. There's production track. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, very little group ADR. Very little. Just wow. a couple of places. So, right. really, your job was like, Here's this box of stuff. Yeah. Clean it up yeah. to the extent that you you know you're able. But really, or just, don't you, clean it up too much. But you have to make this work. Yeah. with what you got. Yeah, I, we kind of approached it that way at one point. I think it was the scene, in in the breakfast scene. It's like, why don't we just treat this? Uh, we have these three tracks in front of us. Let's make them sound as good as we can, and that's the style it is. In a way, you almost have to kind of approach it like a documentary. Yeah, right. I, that that scene, I thought Tom and Phil were were, were going that direction. Yeah. That this this was a you know like you said a documentary or almost like the if it has a style it's like a foreign film right you know right very quiet you know the sound is there for a very specific reason or it's not there at all and yet it's interesting to me I mean obviously people pay attention to the length of the film it is quite long <laughs> at three hours and what, right. forty or three thirty three twenty nine three twenty nine but that's a heck of a, a credit sequence so it's a three hour movie. yeah it's like a nine it's like you a can nine get up and leave <laughs> but. You know, on it, like I, at the end of it, I was like, I could do another hour of yeah. this. And, you know, you guys were able to keep it engaged, and, and obviously that's, that's about the performance. Yeah, not, it but, is. But it's, it's, really, it's really amazing work. I wanted to ask you guys, because a lot of people pay attention to the de-aging from a visual effects standpoint. Um, and I know that you guys had some conversations about how, about, about treating the vocals the same way, because obviously yeah. a 70-year-old man yeah. The timbre and quality of his voice is very different than when he was forty. Mm -hmm. um, so, t tell me well, a little bit about that and what you guys what you guys did. We, uh, I started by going back and listening to scenes from Serpico and um, King of Comedy. That's and, a good point. These guys are all famous actors with long careers, so you have got right. a lot of stuff that you can go right. back. Yeah. So I went back listen to that. To and I listened to those scenes, and like. I, I had uh, I had a plug-in that I tried uh, that. Was supposed to do something with it. We were, one of the problems was the gravelly, right. raspy quality of De Niro's voice, um, and this was supposed to help that, and it didn't really work. I tried pitch changing, which you know I experimented a little bit with that, and it you know it didn't it wasn't right. It was too extreme. They kind of sounded a little chipmunky. Right. Um, so what wound up happening in the end was that Phil Stockton went in, and surgically took out a lot of the breathing between the lines, between the words from De Niro, uh, which really helped make him sound younger. Because your breath, your, yeah. your, 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 uh, your voice gets more rasp, breathy. Yes, the, more, the breathiness. He tried to remove as much as he could of that. Um, and did, he did a little bit of, just a slight pitch change. And that worked. They were happy with that. So and that's was it we mostly were, De Niro, or did you have to do the same thing It was mostly De Niro. Uh, they did a little bit with, not, nothing with Pesci, because Pesci was already older. Right. Uh, but a little bit with uh, with Pacino, I think. Uh -huh. uh, there were a couple of places where, we, but for, even even with Pacino, for the most part, it was just 
straight as as it was. Yeah. Uh, the the most the lion's share of the work was with De Niro, uh, because his voice is is you know just generally even when he was young he was kind of raspy. Right. Um, and also, it was only in the first part of the film that we had to do that. Sure. You know, the first hour or so right. was where that technique was used. And then we just left it after that. I'm, I'm curious about process with Marty and, and Thelma and how the, the mixes worked. Did you guys, were, were, there, were there temps or? Thelma does her temps. So with, she does them with in? Her, with her associate editor, Scott Brock. They okay. do them together. She does them in the Lightworks. She still cuts on a lightworks? She's still cutting on a lightworks. That's amazing. And uh, she won't give it up, but that's good. You know, that's, that's what hey, she does. You know, the artist, the artist has her tools. If it ain't exactly. broke, don't <clears throat> fix it. So, <laughs> she, so she's temping stuff in, in, in just in her lightworks. She's with, right. temping in the lightworks. So we wind up coming to the mix with, you know, her temp, right. which is basically our Bible. Right. You know, and are you feeding her sound effects? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. quite a bit for... They, we've worked this way for on a number of films where Marty really wants sound effects as, as part of his cutting and developing the cut. And then they'll screen that in their screening room and, and, and make changes or whatever. But, but that's really smart because the last thing you want is for them to go off and do their own thing. And right. then you come along to put something new in. And yeah, that just doesn't work. Yeah. And we've, we've, we've kind of figured that... Temp it's been a struggle through all of the movies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is something that is ongoing and has always been a bit of a struggle with us is that they get locked into what's in sure. their temp and when they hear something new or something is suddenly in stereo that wasn't mono yeah. and it's not the same, um, uh, they often object to it. Um, and then once the, once we get started, you know, I'll do a dialogue pre-dub, Phil and I'll sit and do a dialogue pre-dub and then Gene comes in, Jennifer Dunnikin comes in with the music and we'll put put it together so that it makes sense to us. Thelma will come in and then critique that. Right. And she knows what Marty wants. So she will guide us through that to so get it to a point where she feels it's enough to present to him. Thelma and Marty, their taste is pretty, like, she knows what he's going to respond to. She knows, yeah. yeah. Well, they've been working on this for, like, a year. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah. And they've been temping it, and, you know, he's been approving all of that, and he's been setting the balances so between first you, the dialogue. So first you got to make Thelma happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. We have to make Thelma happy and then 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 Marty will come in and you know we go through it again. Which is understandable because she she she's not always right, but a lot most of the time she is. Yeah, sure. She doesn't want to get yelled at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and so um do you, you so do you see Marty? You don't see Marty until the final mix. Then? We see Marty at the final, yeah. And is he does does he does he love to hang out on the dub stage and watch you guys work, or does is he one of those directors that like shows up every third day for a playback and gives some notes, or how does that work? He usually comes in when yeah. we have something ready to show him. Okay. And he'll come in after lunch, and sometimes we'll work into the evening. Mm -hmm. um, usually our sessions with him are, you know four to six hours, generally. Uh, when he was younger, he would stay later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's true for all of us. You know, sure. It's, it's, uh, but that's the, way, that's the way we do it. Yeah. Um, and he's very, he's a lot of fun to work with. I mean, Absolutely. he's funny yeah. and engaging. Engaging. He's, he always got great ideas and he knows exactly what he wants. There's no question. And he won't let go until he gets it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know. So. And then other times he does like to play and develop ideas on the, and use the, the, the mix as an opportunity to, to, he goes, well, I know I had it that way, but that was an attempt. Let's, let's, 
let's go further with that. So, so I'll, it's, I'll it's a you, tough I'll, one. I'll put you on the spot. Can you think of a, an, an example from Irishman about about uh, Marty getting on the stage and experimenting and playing? Uh, well, the best example I can think of is we had, you know, we had mixed the film in Atmos, but we'd hardly used it. We just had a couple yeah, of sound effects and maybe a little bit in the music and some of the ambience we put in the ceiling. Uh, but we really kept it. I mean, we were directed from the beginning to keep it center, sure. front and center. Yeah. Uh, so we got to the end title sequence, and Robbie had this great piece of music with these great guitar players. Mm. And Marty turned to us and says, you know, we haven't used the Atmos at all. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do something with those guitars? Let's open it up. And yeah. we, you know, I was spinning them around, and yeah. it was a lot of fun. We just <laughs> had a blast with that. That's great. Uh, and that's probably the biggest Atmos moment in the film. Mm. Uh, I, it, it reminds me of something that you and I talked about on Life of Pi, mm. um, that it was actually, in, in a lot of cases, early on in Atmos, it was the music departments that got excited about exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. Because they, you know, they, they realized that there was an opportunity for them to kind of pull some stuff off the screen and not have to fight with dialogue and effects exactly. in, the, in yeah. the front three channels. Yeah, the composer himself, Michael Dano, came in and uh, fell in love with the idea of moving things off the screen and, and more spatially. Um, but I was thinking a direct answer uh, to Marty wanting to develop something further was in another movie we did um, in The Departed. It, it really developed on the stage all by itself was the idea that the cell phones were uh, switchblades. And this was, their, this was their, uh, hmm. their, their, their fighting tool. This mm -hmm. is what they were going into battle with. And, uh, you know, he, he becomes very enthusiastic and, and, and you, you work from there. Um, uh, to develop it further, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. So um, Netflix was part of the deal from the beginning on this film. You guys knew that mm -hmm. that that you know it was a Netflix show and that it was going to be on the streaming platform. Did that affect the way you approach the mix at all? Or no, not really. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say so. I mean, we knew from the beginning that it was going to be a focused mix. Sure. We weren't. I mean, even though Atmos was a delivery requirement. We knew from the start that we probably weren't going to be using much of it. Yeah. That not many people were going to be seeing it in that format. Most people were going to be seeing it at home, right? Uh, either in a home theater or maybe just out of their TV set. So, uh, the, actually, the you know the concept of the mix being restrained and centered and and quiet was helpful in that sense. Aesthetically, it worked for the movie, but it also technically it also worked, worked for this. You know, yeah, for the, for, for the home. People. For the home theater mix, yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. Um, well, that's I, that's all the questions that I have for you guys. Any any final thoughts on on the Irishman? Well, the movie itself, I, I got to say, it uh, it affected me on a very deep emotional level. At the end, the, yeah. the last hour of that movie has just ripped my ripped my heart out. Yeah, and it was it was just a. a a pleasure to work on a movie that affected me that deeply. Right, right. Yeah. And probably continue to do so all the way through the process. Yeah. Right? Like, uh -huh. yeah. yeah. It's rare when you get to Every time I would see that scene when he says, and that was the day uh, that my daughter walked out of my life. Right, mm -hmm. right. It just <laughs> ripped me up. Yeah, and, and man, and those performances. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing yeah, truly, it's, it's an honor to be a part of the process. Um, and uh, regardless of the complexity of the track, it's still a beautiful film. And that's, that's a 
testament to 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 the to his direction. It's it's incredible that uh, it doesn't have to be the sum of all the parts. To say it's it's itself already you know brilliant. Those performances are yeah. are are the point of a ma making a movie. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> and I, I, to me, it's not. It's it, it's it's more about everything. Every decision about the making of this film was about stripping away yeah. everything that's not necessary right. and just making it about yeah. capturing those performances. And I yeah. think you guys did an admirable job of, of yeah. supporting that from a sound perspective. Yeah, and it's 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 tricky. It's hard work. <laughs> it actually, it's actually harder than the than, yeah. than piling a bunch of sound effects. Right. On it. Sure. It, it's it's certainly equally as challenging, if not more so, to to come up with something that's subtle and again not even effectively subtle. It's not like, oh yeah, there was this really cool sound. No, there's no sound there, but we still right. had to have sound. Of course, and it yeah. was very important to them. Like I've, I've said in some interviews, the bed sheet rustle in, in, one, in the scene when they're in their pajamas and they're, they're, they're you know, that was a really critical scene. Yeah. That they, Every, everything's gotta be perfect. Yeah, and it wasn't like perfect, like give me all this cool perfect stuff. It was like, no, one thing there once and that's what's gonna sell right. that cut or that pause in the in the dialogue how long was the mix uh i forget six two, two and a half months yeah, yeah. i think we for, started for on july movie, 1st and i think we long. finished right. after labor day so you know, yeah yeah second week in september yeah yeah that's right uh we started finally like july 21st yeah 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 i was doing dialogue pre-dub starting right. the first of july and then we went till after labor day yeah and uh yeah you have to think it's three and a half hour movie that it's Double the length. It's like mixing two movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the the Cinema Audio Society nominations just came out yesterday. You guys got a nomination for this. Congratulations. <laughs> and you are going to receive the Lifetime Achievement Award yeah, at the CAS I am in February. I'm very honored by that. Which but is I'm amazing. not finished. I'm not done. No, of course not. That's an amazing <laughs> honor. And, and uh, word on the street is that Mr. Scorsese is going to present the award to you. That's so. what I hear. <laughs> what an amazing honor. Yeah, truly. That's well gonna be, deserved. That's gonna be a, it's going to be a great night for you. Well, congratulations to you both. Thank you very much. Thanks really for coming cool. on the show, talking to us about The Irishman and about Always a pleasure, Thelma Glenn. and Marty and, uh, <laughs> and, and working on all these great films. Yeah. This is Glenn Kaiser from the Dolby Institute. Thanks for tuning in.